You're listening to the Functional Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Patrick Hester and Tracy Townsend. And Tracy, I'm in I'm I'm sitting in my office today staring out at Schnur. Lots and lots of Schnur. So much Schnur. Schnur, yes. Ronin is, it is the end of April. Yeah. It's supposed to bring May flowers for fuck's sake. <laughs> it it did. And now they're all covered in Schnur. Well, I guess they're Colorado flowers, so they're tough it's like that. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. Oh, disallowed. No. <laughs> like, there, are, there are enough things right now giving me stress in my life. Like, like I got the email the other day saying that uh, the Hugo Awards wants, wants my nominations by oh, yeah. soon o'clock. Uh, gosh, yeah. that was two days ago. So I guess um, as of this recording, we're looking at like end of end of April, like close of April is like when we have to get our nomination ballots in. And um, I don't know, I can't be in this business here and not be a little bit ah, about that um, <laughs> at a certain level. Yeah. <laughs> uh. You know, we just got done talking to our guest in the green room about how there weren't going to be any difficult gotcha questions. So I'm halfway tempted to be like, what's on your nomination ballot just to make Ooh. a liar of myself? <laughs> that would be – that might be the worst gotcha question in our particular field, wouldn't it be? You, 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 could, you could save our guests and, and not ask that question and then we could I just could. post it in to fact, the patrons group. In fact, I think I group. should. We should we, be we nicer should, to Cat Howard than that. We should, we should ask Cannoli Joe. His um, his ballot. What all is right, his so ballot? that's that's the trade. Cat Howard does not have to publicly state what will the contents <laughs> of her Hugo nomination ballot, but now Cannoli Joe does. So yes. at some point, if you're ever at the same con, uh, look up Cannoli Joe because he just saved you. He didn't consent to it, but it's fine. He's a good guy. He'll do it. So, Cat, <laughs> welcome. Thank How are you, you, Cannoli Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. It's so nice to be here. There is unfortunately snow at my house as well, which is, Wait, yeah, no. You're in you. Minnesota, so that's like 10 months of the year, yeah? Uh, you know, sometimes we only get nine. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> true, true story. Minnesota, Minnesota is where I had, for the very first time in my life ever, a baked sweet potato with mm. cinnamon butter. And it blew my mind. And I was like, I did not know that this existed and I want to go to there. That's a weirdly precise memory. Yeah. 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 I did not know that was on our list of like particularly Minnesotan culinary delicacies. I don't know if it is. I don't know if it is, but that was the first place I ever had it. Ah, So you just imprinted like a duckling. Like yes. sweet potatoes with cinnamon and and okay that's that's your thing now got it yeah okay oh it was so good it was the, it was like the I, <laughs> it was funny because the 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 server takes the order and and is like you know I'm like why why does this come with a baked sweet potato what what, what this this makes no sense this who like, would do no such no a trust thing. me trust me trust me and then they bring it to me and I'm like oh yeah. <laughs> So I want you to know, Patrick, that Deirdre, Deirdre is my daughter, Kat. Um, Deirdre's guinea pigs make exactly that sound when we give them chunks of sweet potato. So uh, maybe you're part guinea pig, but like you'll, you'll put it in their cage and they're like, oh. and it's like, it's a little creepy. And you're like, I think the guinea pigs are having a moment and I need to like, I don't know. Do you need to hang a sock on your cage here? Like what's happening? <laughs> <laughs> What's happening and, is the exact same question that's going through Cat Howard's mind right now. Right? I just, yeah. Like I just thought we were going to talk my about favorite books. interview, but. <laughs> <laughs> 
I swear to God, though, we are going to talk about books, and we're delighted to have you on. So for A Slight of Shadows is going yes. to be dropping on April 25th, which should also be the day that this episode drops. So serendipity, baby. Amazing um, coincidence. Indeed. It's not like we planned that utterly from the beginning. No. <laughs> so I think in <laughs> fairness to to the, our listeners here, um, Slight of Shadows is the sequel to An Unkindness of Magicians in your Unseen World series. And yes. we did not uh, because we failed you. Uh, we failed you as friends and as hosts have oh. you on for An Unkindness of Magicians, which means we need to catch people up. So let's, I don't know. I can, feel can like we kind of maybe... give an outlay of, of the world concept here? Let us seduce the readers into the back catalog and the, and the new release. Okay, I wasn't sure that I was doing seduction on a Saturday morning, but let's see where this goes. <laughs> sure, um, sure. Yeah. Okay, so the Unseen World duology takes place in a New York City that is very, very like our own um, in terms of you know geography, time, everything else, um, except it is home to a secret hidden enclave of very, very rich and powerful magicians called the Unseen World. Um, and as an unkindness of magicians opens... What is happening is the beginning of something called the turning, which is a magical tournament that winds up being a duel to the death um, after a certain point. Um, And this is how they figure out who is going to be the most powerful and the head of their system and everything else. Basically, they get together once a generation and try and kill each other. And if you win, then you're doing well. And if not, well, too bad for you. Um, During the course of that, some of the Unseen World's Um, darkest and most upsetting secrets come out. Um, People, there's a variety of alliances and politics and magic and all sorts of shenanigans of that sort happen. Um, And then we get to the, uh, um, after the end of the turning and everything is sort of turned amazingly upside down. um, About six weeks later, a slight of shadows begins. Um, And this basically deals with the aftermath. What happens when you get what you think you want in none of the ways that you were planning on getting it? What happens when the society that you've tried to change doesn't actually really want to change all that much? Um, And then we begin. So um, it's about American politics is basically what you're saying. Oh, my God. I was about to be like, so this is about electing Barack Obama and then being like, hope, change. And then eight years pass and, you know, there there are weirdos with truck nuts and stuff who have decided to come and take over government and call themselves Tea Party. You know, I can say with absolute certainty that truck nuts do not make an appearance in either book. Oh, thank God. Um, I mean, mean, it wasn't high on my list of concerns about the world building, (laughs) but knowing that we are in a truck nuts free environment is a comfort. Yeah. um, You know, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't set out to write an an allegory or anything like that, but like most of us, I've lived through the past few years and somehow that might've shown up in my fiction one way or another. I mean, it's, um, I don't know that. I, I teach uh, science fiction and fantasy, and oh, one of the cool. things that I uh, yeah I know right, right? And they, they give me money and everything. It's, don't tell them. Okay. Um, and she and she teaches it to X Men. So, uh, but the the, the long running gag is because I teach at a public boarding school for gifted students. That it's you know, but anyway, as one does. But the one of the things that you know we talk about a lot as as fans of of 
speculative fiction and also when I'm working with my students teaching speculative fiction, talking to them about it is that, um, no, it's not just escapism. Like, although even if it was, there's right. value in escape. Like escape is is therapeutic. Escape has has the value of sort of recentering oneself. But no, it often isn't. You know, there's often things within within these texts that are sort of speaking to us from the time in which they come and that, you know, even a, an author doesn't intend to have present there. And so the idea that, yes, even in a world where the power structure that we're focused on is magical in nature, that that power structure is still going to reflect some of the worse impulses and tendencies we've seen in the power structures of our own real world is I don't know. I think you're almost obliged to do that if you're going to have what feels like a realistic and genuine set of stakes. I mean, the thing is, is like the unseen world. Yes, it's magicians and stuff like that, they're, but they're still human. And so they still have all the, you know, human impulses, good and bad that any of the rest of us do. And, you know, I don't think that it takes a very significant study of power structures or anything else to, you know, to say that, oh, sometimes when people get a lot of power, it makes them lose sight of some of the better parts of their humanity. Now, now, now I want to see a scene where a magician is uh, in their PJs at 11.57 p.m. Uh, standing at the microwave making nachos. Uh, why, though? Because, be- because they, they have the same urges and needs that we do. Oh, oh, I thought okay. that... I, yeah. Okay. That, I was trying to that understand took, where took a minute for the circuit to close for me too. <laughs> if if the listeners had the benefit of Zencaster video right now, they would have seen two two women staring in earnest effort to comprehend. Um, yeah, I, I, I was thinking like, is this some elaborate filibuster thing? Like, right. all the, like all the magicians are like filibustering in their PJs, like eating nachos. Like, no, nope, not going to give up the mic here. We're going to talk about this cantrip till fucking dawn. Um, just like, I mean, and you know, the, yeah. the urge to microwave nachos is a powerful human urge. So sure, yeah. At midnight. Yes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We were monkeys and it's, with sticks, uh, it, it, and then we became also, monkeys with microwaves. It's also a nice, uh, uh, it's a nice kind of kind of explanation of how this show works. It's like I am thinking of nachos at midnight. Tracy is teaching literature to children. <laughs> While thinking about nachos at midnight, let's not get it twisted here. Like there's there's the front facing right, right? and then there's the whole. You know that scene in Men in Black where they crack open the big the big dude's body and it's just like a tiny little alien piloting this big mechanism? There is just a tiny little nacho craving thing piloting this <laughs> intellectual seeming being. So let's let's not don't sell yourself short there, Captain. <laughs> we might just be a little yin and yang here where there's a there's a there's a nacho fueled being being piloted by a by a tiny intellectual neutron core for you, and then I've got the little little nacho core, <laughs> you know. So and we broke cat. We did. We, broke, we need. If only we had commercial breaks, we could we could buy a little time here. No, no, we're good. We're good. Okay, nice, good. <laughs> so I think. Um, I mean, you've kind of created the opening here, Patrick. So I'm gonna jump through it. Um, and in doing my kind of trawling around in homework and things, uh, it's always fun for me to look not just at what authors have created and, you know, the, the kind of trends within their work. And there's definitely a kind of a through line in yours for um, 
you know, myth and gender and power and magic mm-hmm. and so on. Uh, but also just kind of looking at the biographical stuff. Sure. And um, so your background includes college professor and yeah. also competitive fencer. And I yes. would like to know the elements of the Venn diagram piece of this, right? So we have the two circles. We smoosh them together. Some part of that, because I my background is not college professor, but, you know, a weird high school boarding school teacher thing martial arts instructor. So there's a Venn diagram slice in the middle there that I think is is a is a fun space to unpack a little. So I think it's just, you know, you like uh, you like challenges and strategy and sometimes people just need stabbing. Um mm. I I, did, I would like to state for the record that I never stabbed any of my students. No. <laughs> but the tiny little stabby pilot inside of you though was like, man, yeah, especially during grading time. No, 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 no. I had I, I had very, very good students. I was pretty lucky. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, I think we could be honest with ourselves. We, we are we are human beings with the metaphorical clay feet. Um, or, or those of us who are golems more than metaphorical. Um, but the you can have great students, but at a certain point, the grades are just like, please make them stop. Oh, I will yes. give all of you A minuses just to go away. Like I'm just, I'm very tired now. Oh, yeah, I love you yeah. very much, but this needs to end. End um, of semester finals was 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 never a good time. Yeah, and coincidentally, we are recording this at the end of April. So, on the theme of Venn diagrams, there is real overlap between the sort of theatrical performance of academic exhaustion I've just given and the reality of where we are. <laughs> I was going to say, how are you still making sentences right now? <laughs> I, I after we you know end the recording here, I'm really just going to sort of lay in a pile and and drink smoothies for the rest of the day. So it's just, <laughs> the ambitions are low. Tracy, why 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 why? How come you never talk about my Venn diagram of Irish hillbilly? It's I mean, the Venn diagram <laughs> Venn diagrams are there. You know, they tighten and they broaden in certain spaces, and I think um, okay. So let's let's run with this. Okay, Irish hillbilly. From your experience of hillbilly Irishness, is there what important distinctions exist between, say, I don't know, like Italian hillbilly or I don't um, like German hillbilly? Like, is it, uh, is it culinary or there's a there's an Irish author, Ian. Um, oh, gosh, Ian. He wrote Moon and some other stuff. Anyway, I, I, I told him that one time I said, I'm, I'm an Irish hillbilly. And in a very Irish brogue, he said, what the fuck's the difference? <laughs> <laughs> we all just got on boats and came over there, bro, and set up set up shop. Like <laughs> I have been Ronaned. Oh, yeah. I'm just letting uh, you guys know right we now. We have the four, so. the, the the third host has made his appearance. Because I was laughing. Yeah. Because right. I was laughing. So he you came over. To see what the hi. big deal is. Dad's yeah, excited. Exactly. Yeah. I, I want to be part of it. For sure. Yeah. So, maker. so all right. This duology now is mm-hmm. is it is it is about to be out into the hands of the world, which is you know exciting slash terrifying as yep. such things tend yeah. to be. Um, happy book birthday, to, by the way. Thank you. Yeah, happy book birthday, indeed. Um, but I kind of getting back to that idea of like the through line of storytelling that is a Cat Howard book, like mm-hmm. from Roses and Rot to where we are now. Um, there are there are certain things that I think people, when they pick up their your work, they know what they can count on. They can count on sort of lyricism and imagery and deep character exploration and and 
complex relationships that are sometimes, um, you know, they're deeply engrossing, but also deeply frustrating. Like you can see characters' behaviors towards each other play out and you're like, no, 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 no. Um, or you're sort of rooting against them doing the thing that of course they're going to do because they are the person that they are. There must be at this point where you are in your career, you've notched your belt with some really great things um, along the way, world fantasy and locus acknowledgements and all sorts of things. Um, where where haven't you gone yet? Like what's what's tickling your brain now? It's like, mm, I haven't had a chance to play with this yet or I haven't had the right story yet to play with this. So I tend to be pretty superstitious about talking about any kind of work in progress or anything like that. Um, it's sort of like once I've told the story to myself, I lose interest in telling the story. So um, I don't talk too much about that. But I do know like one of the places that I've poked at sort of a lot in my writing is the Arthurian mythos. I did The Green Knight's Wife. I did the novella Once Future. Um, but I feel like there's still room in that story for me to play and work on something. And one of the things that I would really like to do with that story is at some point, I I know that I have a Fisher King story that I would like to tell. I don't know what it is yet. I don't know how it's going to work, but that particular section of the mythos is really interesting to me. Um, and so I'd really like to make that work if I could. That would be super cool. I would love to see that. So, Thank you. all right, without, without ruining your mojo for it, I will say, Whatever it looks like, whatever whatever secret nooks and crannies it has, I'll be there for it. Thank you. I really appreciate it. And it's probably about time that we're there for picks of the week. What do you think, Patrick? We we should probably do picks, yes. Picks of the week. I'm going to go against type here. I'm going to ask you to model good behavior, Patrick, and show Kat how picks work. Okay. I actually have two. Um, just because, uh, so we're, we're at the end of a couple of series that blew my mind and had me on an emotional roller coaster. So both recently did their, their season finales for season threes. Uh, first is the Mandalorian. So the Mandalorian did a fairly epic season three finale, in my opinion. Uh, it's difficult to talk about without giving spoilers. <laughs> so I will just say that I, I super enjoyed it. It, it had a ton. This entire season has done a ton, ton of callbacks to what has come before, including the clone wars, rebels, it, it, all kinds of stuff. And I feel like what, what they're doing is they're setting up something that, that a lot of people have, have asked about, which is where'd the new order come from? So you kind of go from Jedi in the movies to, uh, I forget the what's the last Jedi, what, what, what or what was the first, the Rise of the Force or the Force Awakens? That's what's called. Right. So yeah. you, you, the Force Awakens, you get the you get the new order, right? And a lot of people mm -hmm. are like, where the hell did the new order come from? I feel like what Filoni is doing with Mando is and and his other series is he's giving us that, he's answering that question. You know, the the Empire didn't just. Reboot. go away yeah they didn't go away yeah. they you know the new republic let them grow out beyond <laughs> and that's kind of where the new order is coming from so they they set a ton of seeds up and they're answering a bunch of questions and then you've got all this great stuff with mandalore so the season three was epic i loved it and then the other one that absolutely the last couple of episodes had me bawling like a baby is picard season three they have done 
so much fan service in season three. They have brought back so many characters. They have just plucked the nostalgia heartstrings over and over and over again, those fuckers, that it's just been, it's been so hard <laughs> and so good at the same time. You know, uh, so Picard season three, oh my God, so good. And then the finale, I thought they they land two series that landed the finales for their seasons really, really well, Mando mm-hmm. and Picard. So those are my those are my two picks this week. Awesome. Hey, Kat, how about you? Um, so I am a huge fan of Florence and the Machine. Um, like pretty much if I'm putting together a soundtrack for any book or anything that I'm writing, she's on there. And she has a new single out this week called Mermaids, which is amazing and gorgeous and gothy and wonderful. And I am, have already listened to it an embarrassing amount of times, really. Um, so that would be my pick. And what's the name of the song again? It's called Mermaids mermaids is it is it you know a te- is it teasing an album coming out or is or is no, she just she dropping did, singles her most her most recent album it's like a it's a special um special bonus edition of the of Got the it. new album you know it's it's interesting because i i saw that of all the people it kind of blew my mind natalie merchant yes has a new album out and has been putting out singles. And I, I listened to the first one and it's just like, oh, there's that voice. It's so lovely. She's such yes. a great singer. And it's just like, oh, where where have you been? <laughs> it's one of those things where I always go, whatever happened to such and such? And she did, Natalie Merchant um, was one of those. Yeah, if I could, she did a recording of the um, Spring and Fall to a Young Girl by Gerard Manley Hopkins, the poem. Mm-hmm. And it's just her song version of it. Just if you want to break your heart, go listen to that. <laughs> nice. Nice. That's awesome. So kind of uh, on the theme of um, kind of storytelling and mythology and, and magical things and whatnot. Big surprise. I have a game uh, this week. Uh, I often recommend games. This is yet another tabletop. This one is a bidding mechanic oriented game. It's a really good game to play with folks who are maybe maybe they don't think of themselves as comfortable with, with games. Uh, it's a sort of card driven bidding oriented mechanic game that plays in a little less than an hour, anywhere from 40 minutes to an hour. It's called Equinox. And the game is actually a sort of reskin and perfect perfecting of a game that came out a couple of decades ago called Colossal Arena. And the idea behind the game is there are all these sort of uh, strange fairy tale mythological type creatures, most of which are not things that you would recognize. Like, yes, there's a satyr in there, but they're also beings that have just been invented by the extraordinarily talented artist uh, Chris Williams, who gives his work to this game. And so this Reiner Nietzsche designed game, you have an array of 10 different uh, animal sort of spirit type characters that are taken from a larger deck at random. And these particular characters are vying for the opportunity to have their um, their story survive into legend. But only some of them can be saved uh, because, you know, magic is dying and sort of thing. And you and the other players in the game have a certain number of really kind of rad physical tokens that look like polished stones. And you use these polished stones to sort of claim a character and endorse them. And their character cards count down over time so that with every round, uh, there are, uh, I want to say six rounds in total that you play. Uh, But with every round, another character disappears forever. 
until finally there are only a couple of characters left at the end. And so your goal is to have endorsed the characters that will make it to the end, thus getting you more points. The way you endorse them is you have a hand of cards that represents all the different characters uh, that are, that it's a larger deck of cards that represents all the different characters. And I'll have a picture of that character with a number next to it. Anything from zero up to 10. And the larger the number it is that you uh, are able to play into, into use for them and to put your token on, the more you're kind of betting on them. But that means that it's very obvious to everyone that you're backing this particular horse, which means they may take efforts to use powers associated with their cards to subvert this and get your characters out of the game. And so... It doesn't explain super well based on all these things that I've just said, but trust me, it's a lot of fun. Um, it's a very social game. Uh, the mechanics of it are extremely easy. The art is gorgeous. Uh, and again, if it's a sort of group of people, anywhere from two to five players, who can't agree on what to play, but want something that feels like a little bit more than filler and maybe has a different vibe than other things, Equinox is a lot of fun. And if you're playing with D, as soon as she realizes uh, who you're going to try to save, she's coming after you. Yes, this is pretty <laughs> accurate because my daughter um, is a is a is a vicious creature of legend in her own right. Yes. <laughs> yes. And and All her right. strategy is always to take out the other person, not necessarily build up her own. <laughs> yeah, she likes to um, she likes to win by making other people lose. Like yes. it doesn't really matter to her if she has the highest score. It just matters to her if if she's not the slowest zebra, as it were. Like everybody else just gets eaten by the lions. I yeah. respect that. Yeah, it's very practical that way. Well, Kat, it's been great talking to you, and we're really uh, happy for you about getting to complete your duology. A Slight of Shadows is out on April 25th, which means you may be hearing about it on. April 25th, if you listen to our episodes as they come out, uh, go ahead and get a copy of it. Get your get your local library to support it. Where can people find it and you out in this wide, wide universe, Kat? Um, I have a website, cathowardbooks.com. Um, if Twitter still exists, you can find me there as Cat with Sword. You can find me at that same handle on Instagram, and all this information is on my website as well. Um, if you are extremely interested in ordering a signed copy of the book, you can order that through Next Chapter Booksellers, and I will go in and sign for you quite happily. So thank you all so cool. much. And and Cat, what's your cat's name? This is Maeve, who has joined us today. Um, <laughs> believe it or be not, shined by mom. But believe it or not, Maeve was purring loud enough that I could hear. <gasps> Do you Ooh. have a word for her? Yeah. Good yeah. job, mom. Make Maeve she, a very happy um, girl. When I was first doing the uh, the the meetings for writing in Sandman Universe, she felt like she needed to come to all of the meetings with uh, DC Comics. So, of know, course, she's she's a very active supporter of my career. Well, she's Very trying cool. really hard to to send the right vibes. Like, no, mom, Sandman people want to know you have a black cat. Like, they definitely do. Like, so. they, they, she's trying to support the aesthetic. She gets yeah, it. Thank yeah, thank you. I know. I know. <laughs> it's been great having you, cat. <laughs> thank you guys so much. This was a lot of fun. <laughs> what on earth? Hey. Oh, oh, hi, Patrick. Tracy, what are you doing to the bumper? Uh, fortifying it. Duh.
This is because we just talked to Keith Amon about defending your lair. And... And I started thinking about that time beyond the trope, tried to take over. Yeah, I, I act cool about that, but I guess it kind of got to me after all. You do realize that building a... What, what is this? It's a palisade. Right. You realize that physical fortifications are not a way of protecting and preserving the podcast into the future, right? I suppose. Oh, oh, what about weapons? You're kidding. You have two Hugo Awards. Those trophies are very pointy and probably excellent for close quarters combat. Oh my God, you're not kidding. You can't tell me that you don't look at those trophies sometimes and think about how good it would feel to just poke them right into Sean Duke from Skiffy and Fanty, huh? Huh? My therapist says I need to give my worst impulses space to be entertained intellectually but not acted upon. I would totally act on that. But there's a problem. I don't have a Hugo Award trophy. I don't even have one of the tiny stabity nomination pins. Patrick. Patrick. Why are you grabbing me by the collar? Why am I narrating about it? This is audio entertainment, Patrick. Just give the cues. Patrick, I need that Hugo trophy to help you defend our lair. Podcast. But lair, podcast, whatever. We need to make sure the listeners know that nominating for the Hugo Awards is a great way to contribute to the SF community and honor content creators they like. Maybe even the functional nerds by nominating them for categories like best fan cast. Please let me go. Oh, sorry. Would you feel better if we also told folks that interested listeners can go to the current Worldcon Facebook page for more information? I cannot actually pronounce that name of that current page, but they're in China. Oh, or they could skip straight to finding the Chengdu Worldcon on the web at en.chengduworldcon.com. You know, you're stronger than I thought you'd be. My neck hurts. Walk it off, Hester. Here, here's a hammer. We've got work to do. Let's take a second to talk about Beyond the Trope. If you're looking for another podcast to listen to, we recommend Beyond the Trope. Giles and Michelle have been putting out episodes for a really long time. Not as long as me, but don't hold that against them. They have a lot of great guests, just like we do. And they put out their episodes on Tuesdays, just like we do. They also have a Patreon with a bunch of extra content for backers, which is really cool. They have a Redbubble site where you can buy stuff, also cool. And I just wanted to throw it out there. Beyond the Trope, check them out. I think you'll like them. So there. Mr. Carpiers, you got it right. How about that? Yeah. You can call me Cannoli Joe. If you've if you've never listened to the podcast, there there's there's two different styles here. There's there's Tracy who does prep work and comes up with some very thoughtful questions, and then oh squirrel! Oh, for God's sake, Patrick Louise! <laughs> Are you okay with me recording you today for the purposes of this podcast? Okay, that's probably a good enough signal. <laughs> when someone comes up to me and says, "Hey, I really love what you do," I'm like. I'm sorry, do you know who I, like, I think you have me confused with someone else. The whiz bang and the gosh wow and the sense of wonder stuff. My favorite thing about time travel is I actually had a time travel joke for you guys, but you didn't like it. I'm so excited.